0: yesterday guest today is Dave Swillem, such an interesting guy. He is an audio engineer, producer, uh, he's a podcaster, he's an indie artist, he's a real estate investor, and my personal favorite, he's currently working on renovating a 6,000 square foot uh, early 1850s farmhouse into in Maine into like a recording studio, artist living space, Airbnb, and the place he's actually going to be living in uh, with his wife. So it's it's a crazy project. And we talked about it. I'm super excited for it. I'm going to try and stay there. Uh, you can find him out, uh, find him on Dave Wake Up on any social media network. Um, his YouTube is Waking Up From Work podcast, where you can learn a little bit more about the farmhouse project, crawlspaceaudio.com for his uh, production business slash audio engineering. Um, he's got a podcast at wakingupfromwork.com. Go check him out everywhere he is. Fantastic guest. Really enjoyed it. We're definitely going to be doing more together. He's a real cool guy. Hope y'all enjoy as much as I did. So tell me, tell me a little bit about what it is that you do as an audio engineer. Like what kinds of clients do you work with?
1: It ranges a lot. I'm still not like, uh, I don't know if I'm not, if I'll never niche down. Cause I'm just like come from different like pieces of my life put, put me with different like types of people or something but i do like mixing recording mixing and mastering for like rock rock pop and rap like a lot but even in that like sometimes i'll do like a live orchestra where i'll go record that on site or i'll record like a death metal band or you know i don't know it ranges a lot in recording for music and then I also manage like kind of like your editor. I also manage some podcasts and then I'll write their intro or outro for them or for YouTubers or like I'll write music for them that's like royalty free. So when they they own it, they own the rights to it and they don't have to pay a license and it can't be mimicked anywhere. It's made for their brand. So I do kind of that's two very different clientele. Like it's like businesses, podcasters, content creators and then it's like artists that are in a wicked mix of stuff but usually like core is like rock pop and rap
0: is like a good kind of base that's super cool so like if you were to do an intro for my podcast like what would the, what would the process look like how do you how do you work with businesses like mine to i mean i've worked with all kinds of businesses to help them design, like define their brand identity visually but i'm really mm-hmm. curious to hear how you would do it um from a, a sound perspective
1: I would imagine it's pretty similar similarly where like I um I ask them questions that are very marketing based when I'm trying to figure out what I need to write for them. So first is like getting some reference tracks, like getting like three different like, hey, give me three examples of either just it could just be straight up songs or theme songs, or it could be other like things like your thing, like podcasts or YouTube. Give me three Examples of songs that you picture yourself like you could walk onto a stage listening to that like you can walk out to like be a speaker or something and That music somehow represents what you're about for whatever thing you're gonna talk, you know cover And that usually gets me in a good spot and I can analyze those three songs and see like What are the similarities there? Like what what's drawing this person to it? It usually has like either common instruments common tempo common? Uh, keys or moods or something. But then question wise, I'll also ask them more. and I'll say like, you know, elevator pitch wise, someone who straight up finds your podcast because they search for it or your YouTube channel because they search for something that has anything to do with what you do. When they are listening to this, like how are they supposed to feel? Like what what energy are they supposed to get from this by the time they hit what you're actually saying before your show happens? like how do I feel right now? Do I feel hopeful? Do I feel like, you know, stressed, but like, you know, in movement, do it like, what do I feel right now? And then I'll kind of ask them, like, how do you feel like, who do you think you are in like a short couple description words? Like how do how are you portrayed? Like an example is like one of my clients, she said, you know, I'm, I'm really loving and I'm very caring but i'm like zero and i'm and i'm happy and energetic but i'm zero bs and so like i'm starting on when she's first saying that i'm starting to think like okay i'm gonna have like you know like i always tell people uh HDTV tv is like the perfect way to explain writing music for things because they're over exaggerated like when someone's hitting a wall like they're hitting plaster down all of a sudden it has this like ridiculous metal guitar it's like chugging and it's like you're like okay it's pretty epic but like they are just Hitting plaster down. It's not that epic. (laughs) Or like they see the house and they're just like, oh my god. And the music's just like straight up like magic or something like that. And you're like, it is, it's super emotional. They're super pumped right now, but like, it is not like majestic, you know? <laughs> and so for her, it's like when she says zero BS, I'm starting to think like Glock and is going to be in there. Like bell sounds are like super hot, happy and bubbly. But like now when I see your zero BS, like, okay, well, I've got to have upbeat for tempo and I've got to do things that make it so it's moving and it's energy. But I need to get rid of any instrument that could be like sparkly or anything that's like shiny or something in the mix. It's got to cut out of there and automatically be something because that's going to be to me a little bit of BS. You know, nothing's that happy. You got right. the bells in it and stuff.
0: That's true. it will be pretty darn happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so do you think at all about, this is probably a dumb question, but do you ever think about like music theory when you're putting this stuff together or is it all like more layers of instruments and things? I mean, obviously things have to be in the same key, but do you ever think like, oh, this should be a minor in, in like E minor versus E major? Do you ever think about that kind of thing? Or is it more of like a natural result of all the other things?
1: I definitely think theory, but like when I'm already into it and vibe and like, like I've probably decided on instrument palette and, uh, tempos and, and things like that before I've gotten into figuring out key, key, like I never think about what key it's going to be in until I've started writing something. And then I go, okay, this is in that key. And then I'm going to, now I have to do that.
0: So, you know, is that for, cause I also know you do your own songwriting and you have your own uh indie music career as well is that for when you're working with clients specifically or do you do that same process for yourself totally different i'd love to hear about clients
1: that. like oh totally yeah uh client work because it's very like first of all i get out of my i get put into like spots where i've never written and i've never written that style of music before you know like people will ask for i don't know like one one i did recently was like not it was like almost like jazz hip-hop like it was like boom bap beats over like jazz guitar and piano and like things that were like that and i've listened to that but i've never tried to write that so sometimes i get put into positions where i've never even tried to write in that before and all of a sudden i need to figure out what does that even look like for a process and then but in general because it's different styles and they're shorter and it's not like a, like my music that I write for indie music, it's very much for me where I've got so many other things that are serious in art or music that that's something that like, I treat it, uh, I treat it as a business. Like I'm still very serious about trying to get onto some great shows and like play with some great people, but like that is for me that's for fun only. So like when I'm writing for clients and because it's not like that kind of like uh, like I, I say, like an art music, just in the way that, like, who knows if it could be successful or not. Whereas these are a brand piece, these, uh, I don't know, writing wise, I dissect it like that, like a mood or all those things. And then all of those things that tell me about what it needs to feel like, then give me, like, this the box that I have to live inside to try to write things. And now, if I know it's going to be sad or it's going to have this instrument, I kind of know how that instrument would. Want to work in that style, and I can start trying to write a line. And then when I write a line, now now I'm finding chords and the key and all of that. And then I can use that to like actually write the song itself for like actual chords and melodies Mm -hmm. that like make it. When it's my music, believe it or not, even though like my background instrument is drums, like that's really what I say that I am. I write vocal lines first. Like I'll write. The entire song, all verses, choruses, bridges, everything, all the melody in the vocal line is figured out and done entirely for three minutes of music. And then I, because I'm a drummer, I'm really slow at figuring chords. I'm very, like, mathematical about it. So, like, where that client piece is, I'm writing the line maybe by ear or something, but then I really have to use the theory to dissect, like, what the heck is happening in here? How can I build this out? Those vocal lines are the same way where like, I won't know by ear what key I'm in. I know what it is because I wrote it, but I have to then reverse that and figure out with a piano or like sometimes I'll even be bringing it into software and like looking at what line it was that I did to figure out what chords and and reverse it back to figure out what it should be. And it's probably not the most efficient for my- (laughs) I have no idea to do that either, honestly.
0: (laughs) For my music. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I, 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 I don't think you're supposed to be efficient when you're making art though. So I think that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Um, Yeah. So that's not efficient. (laughs) So part of, you know, the process of, of, you know, determining what your processes are in either creative endeavors or professional ones, that really is a large part of the progression of a business. Um, So I'd like to kind of rewind a little bit and go back to, to the start for you. How did you get into this industry? Is it was this your first career that you that you dove into, this audio engineering? Um
1: I mean, I have been working sales like since I got out of school, but this was always what would be this was always the idea of like what would happen, if that makes sense. Like when I got out of school uh in in school I I I did a very traditional route like 16 or 17 uh, family said I should go to school. They're like, what are you going to go to school for? Well, I decided like probably I was recording people in my parents' basement at like 15. So I was like, I'm going to go to be an audio engineer. Cause I found out there is a degree for that. You know, it was very not, you know, I always tell people like, you don't have to go to s- school to be an audio engineer, but that worked out for me. You know, when I was there, I, didn't get everything that I wanted just from the courses. So I went out and I started interning at a recording studio. I interned at a record label and then I worked live sound at a music venue on weekends or nights. And I kind of got a big all around taste of music business, like just a bunch of different pieces of the industry. And from there, I had still decided that I was like, the live sound, I did it. And it stressed me out like crazy. So I was like, I don't want to do live sound as my profession because it's stressing me out. And then the label stuff, I really, really enjoyed, but I just wanted more in the action instead of the office. So the audio engineer, that kind of like reaffirmed like this is definitely what I want to do is to be in the recording and production side of it. And then definitely, I'm just a businessy guy. I love business. I ended up getting my MBA in music business because one of my sales jobs would pay for extra schooling. And uh, I just love it, believe it, and, and think that any way that I can bring that into the space to support artists on that front too,
0: then I will. But I try to keep those spaces very separate when I'm working in them. How do you feel about getting your music business MBA? I have a friend who's actually considering doing that, so I'd love to hear what you think about it.
1: I think that if you do it, you should do it with a absolute hunger and thirst for networking with those people. But I don't think that you need to get that degree to be successful in music business.
0: Would you do it again if you if you had your time over?
1: I would in my situation because it was paid for for me. Oh, yeah, that makes and sense. And I got really great connections from it. I, I did learn a lot and all of that ended up being worth it. But I don't think that I would have paid. What, no. what
0: are some things that uh, that you did take away from it like that did help you?
1: um it doesn't need to be concrete
0: examples but like the type of thing that you feel like you got better at from being an MBA
1: um I mean I guess like treating the art like a business like I definitely got way way clearer with like how am I going to take these things that I love and work hard on and make a living from them and not make like a starving artist living but like find a way that I can not only support people, but also like make the living that I want to make from it. Mm. So I think like micro and macro, like it it helped me get way clearer with, you know, just very, very regular things in business, business plans, macro and microeconomics, you know, like I took literally six accounting courses and I hate accounting. (laughs) And it taught me that I will always hire an accountant (laughs) because I will procrastinate that. I will never do that if I do it. But All those courses that I took and I had to suffer through, they made me find out extremely quickly what things are you good at and do you love doing and will you do quickly in business and do those things and what things are you not going to enjoy, not be as good at. And like as soon as I possibly could when I got out of school, like I was working on ways that I could build some type of team to back up those things. So like legal and finance, those are things where I'm just... I'm I'm I that sales background like that sales job. I talk to people. I'm really good at hanging out with people and getting people comfortable and uh, getting into their vibe and their spot. But I'm not good at focusing in and keeping those things, those books clean. You know, so I'd say the biggest thing was just like getting getting clear about business in that space, and then like the networking. Like I said, I took a lot of those relationships offline, and that's been really good. You know.
0: It's interesting to me to hear you talk about this. You have such like an interesting intersection of skills and passions, and you've managed to incorporate many of them into your career path slash income streams, right? You've got real estate, which we haven't even talked about yet. We've got music, we've got, you know, business and some other audio engineering, which may be the same thing as music, but in my head they're separate, but do you do yeah. you feel like you're dominant in one over the others? Do you feel like it's tough to balance having all those different passions at once?
1: Dominant in terms of like income or dominant in terms of like my passion and day-to-day like organization? I meant the latter. The flow, okay? Uh yes and no. Like I I've matured a lot I think over the past 2 or 3 years where I, I initially, like, I, I'm really good, I've, I've come to realize this about myself, I'm like a big action taker, and it's good because it gets things done, but it's bad because of the exact thing that you said is, like, sometimes I just go for it, and I just do it, and it gets me further into it, but sometimes I get further into stuff that, like, I'm not supposed to be in yet, like, you're not supposed to be in that space yet, or you're not supposed to be dealing with that problem while you have this thing that wasn't solved yet, so, I think initially, yes. Initially, those things were not doing well together. There would be things that were not getting finished, or something being put behind, or something getting stacked wrong, like it wasn't good. Lately, it's still something that I had to work on, but I have a lot more of a flow of like kind of compartmentalizing each thing for its own thing. So, there's still days where like I'm getting hit up by contractors and I'm getting hit, hit up by legal or finance. and I'm also getting hit up by someone who wants to talk about like, you know, base equipment or like a certain sound or like something that's just not this, they're wicked different. So sometimes I get a call when I'm in the middle of something, and it's the total polar opposite of the thing that I'm doing, and, it, and it, I had to like tr- be careful to like not take the call when it's not the right time because it'll just break that. Where it's like when I'm in business mode or I'm like trying to get something done, like hey let's do this, like I'm trying to do something serious, not creative at all. I can't take the call and be like, oh yeah, no that kick drum, you want it more round and you want like you want more space to it and you want it, oh you want it to like I can't get in that mode and then I can't be in in the studio or like trying to write something. And then have someone start grilling me about like permits and stuff. It's like, I, dude, I, I don't know what you're talking about right now, but like, I'm trying to like make this, this scene sound like a war or something right now. I don't know what you're <laughs> talking. like, don't talk to me. So I, yes and no, I'm, I've am i gotten a lot better about it, I think.
0: I'm laughing as I'm hearing you describe this because it feels like someone is describing my own set of problems to me. So it's so funny, man. <laughs> so funny. I, I absolutely sympathize with that. Um, totally. I want to, I want to talk to you about your real estate investing. Like when we first chatted, we talked about the one project that I'm fascinated by, but the, you, I didn't realize this until I was researching you before this podcast. You've got a few real estate projects going on.
1: K- kind of Okay, like the first one was a matter of happenstance and like we lucked out. The first one was just straight up. Like we got out of school. We looked at rent versus buying a house. The numbers didn't equate in terms of we're like, we want to build equity and I'll have the house instead of renting. So we bought a house when we got out of school pretty quick. That was in, New. when was it or where? Um, In Milford, New Hampshire. So we bought a house then and that we made a good amount of money from flipping it, but we had to sell that because my wife got into vet school like really abruptly So that was like the first thing that happened. We were like, whoa, we can make good money off of doing real estate. And that time, like, was an accident where we just happened to sit somewhere where it appreciated well. And we, like, knew that it would have to sell. So, like, we went through and, like, painted a bunch of stuff and did, like, really simple little things to just make it not look as old and outdated as it was and, and got a good return. And that's when we were like, that could be a thing. And then that same time, we got our first rental property for kind of the same reason where literally, you know, my wife wanted to get into vet school. She kind of told me that later because she knew that I was building my business here in New England and and was kind of shy to tell me that because she didn't want to disrupt things and was awesome about it. But she did tell me and we had to do something about it and get her what she wants to do too and stay as a team like that. So when we found out that she wanted to get into vet school, For people that don't do any vet school stuff, because I didn't know all this until I was wrapped up in it, you, as an out-of-state student, every one of their programs only allows like 100 people out of state, and that's like the country. It's not like surrounding states. It's like 100 people per one of these schools for like the country, and there's thousands of people applying, so it's really competitive. We had no school in our state, so either way, we are going to have to move and kind of like dig up everything, Mm -hmm. so that's what prompted to sell that house. She got a letter of like being on the back burner of something, like uh if someone drops out of here or doesn't choose to come to the program, we're gonna call you up on this short list. All of a sudden someone called up and said, You can come to the school in Tennessee, but you have to be here in like seven months. And so that's when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like we weren't prepared for this. We were like, We're not, you know, she's not getting in this year, we're out. We sold that house, we made a, a profit off of that, we Flew down to Tennessee and toured 11 houses. And then we got on a plane the next day and flew home and made an offer on one. And then I left my day job. She left her day job. We went down there for a month, completely gutted the property. And we did not know how to work on crap then. So like, we're just like there, ripping up carpet, ripping out bathroom. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, And uh, we went there, renovated that, got a couple renters in there with her. And then we actually, because that was in like the third poorest county in the U.S. Like, there was no jobs for me to get down there within like two-hour drives. It was crazy. There's no wow. work for me to support that. So she stayed down there with our renters, living in roommates essentially. But we were making money, and I stayed up here. Long story short, you know, it's already kind of a long story. But she she ended up deciding that she wanted to own a business not be a veterinarian so she was doing all the business courses of being a vet and really about it but didn't care about the science when she was there so that's when she decided to come back here to New England to open up more properties and and more of a vision for what real estate she could get into to be her thing that she pursues and we kept the Tennessee property so that uh, that is now just like a buy-and-hold long-term rental from afar which has been its own challenge I, I have, I'm in and the now same, we're up to our next week, I got
0: the so. same exact thing going on in, uh, in Arizona. So yeah,
1: it actually, you have a long-term far away rental it came
0: from the same circumstance too. Like I was just living in <laughs> college, I was in college and I needed to, a place to live and I did the math and it made more sense. And then it was roommates with me and now it's just roommates.
1: <laughs> we're living like alternative East coast, West coast lives, my friend.
0: <laughs> I don't know what we're doing out well, there. Fu- fair <laughs> enough, dude. I'm actually in uh, Nashville right now, so we're not, we're not too far apart. No way you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, I think, like, right after we spoke, I, I came out here. But I've been here for about a month now, and I'm, I'm here for another few weeks, slowly making my way up east. No way. Yes, sir. Are, are you just,
1: like, going, are you just working remote and going to different places? Or are That's you, right. like, landing at
0: a spot? No, I'm, no way. Airbnb is just one month at a time, two if I like the place. Wow. That's legit. Thank you, sir. I didn't know that piece about you before jumping on the show with you. Well, what I'm hoping here is that sooner or later, your farmhouse is going to be ready for me to rent out. <laughs> so your, I would love that, barn. man. So can you tell, tell everyone
1: a little bit about that project? Yes. So that is the next spot here is when Meg came back, You know, we were living with not a lot going on. So uh, I had moved in when she was down there with some friends, I was renting out like a single bedroom in a house. And uh, I remember when I was at my barber explaining where I'd moved into, some woman in the background was like, oh, is that the frat house? So I had moved into, <laughs> <laughs> I love these kids to death, love them to death. But I, I had lived away from people for three years with my own house. And then I moved back into a single bedroom that was called the frat house and it was not my style. And so after that, Meg came back During COVID times, leaving school, and we were both living, just me and my wife with a puppy in this single bedroom of this house for like a lot of COVID times. So we got here in October, but this project is is our new spot to be at. This is a permanent dwelling for us now with what we're working on here. It's an 1850s farm up here, about 20 minutes outside of Portland, Maine. It It was an active dairy farm before... We got here, and then they they let it uh, hang on the market for about a year because it's pretty bruised. And uh, we're working on a couple things here. It's it's about six thousand square feet of building here because it's a classic New England farm where they built all the buildings connected so that the farmers could go in the winter time and get into the barn area and all their accessory dwellings without going out into you know the winter times here. Wow. And so uh, we are are renovating the barn into a recording studio on the main floor. And that will be kind of now you say Nashville, kind of be Nashville style where it's going to have a very large lofted space that people can all play as one band. Like I'm totally on board with still multi-tracking people because there's a lot of projects that warrant that, but I really want to bring that Nashville vibe here because I haven't seen any studios where they're doing a lot of bands together playing the song and then that actually being the record. So Main floor will be a commercial recording studio, and the bottom floor will be a podcasting content creation space and really aimed aesthetically and in function towards marketers and businesses. Once again, two different clientele, two different purposes where that will have, you know, built in live streaming capabilities, you know, a a board and then like a whole wall for writing and mapping out uh, marketing strategies and things like that, voiceover, podcasting, content creation. And that whole bottom floor will be for that and then we'll have living space here for artists and creatives. So say someone's coming here to record their record or they're coming to launch their podcast or work on their audio book and, and do all those things. I got this idea when I used to go to these conventions for Audio Engineer Society. I'd go to LA or New York and I would go see these these people who did like the Beatles White Album or they would do, you know, a Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac record or I would see them do these amazing records and they would talk about how they used to rent like these barns in France or they would rent like these farmhouses and stuff and pull these consoles in through the windows and they weren't studios at all. But they they made that work to record their records because the artists were just burnt out touring, tired. They wanted to get away and not be in these New York and LA studios where it's hustle bustle to even get in there or do anything around it. So on site here, artists and creatives will live here, whether it's a weekend, a long weekend, a week, a month, whatever the project calls for, they'll have their own living space right here to live on this property here. And, you know, if it's 10, a you know, 10 PM when they record their vocals or they're like getting up at 5 a.m. to do their audiobook or whatever it is that we're working on. I'll be living on site. Other people will be here. And they'll have the ability to really be immersed in the project in a way that uh, I haven't seen up in, up in New England, at least for the studios I've been around at, as a way to get away, completely disconnect, and just be immersed in whatever project they're trying to do.
0: I am totally going to come stay at your ranch, man. When <laughs> I would love what, it. How many people do you think will be able to... Uh, How many guests are you planning on having at a time? So it will end up being more
1: flexible as we get more of this done. But initially, there will be an Airbnb that's only function is to be an Airbnb here. So that is straight up just an Airbnb for normal, everyday. It doesn't have to be music. They're just here to see Portland or Sebago Lake or the ocean or any of the amazing things that are in Maine. There will be a living quarters for artists. That will be kind of communal where it'll be kind of like really really bougie bunk beds, you know, it will be like probably a room meant for a band. Uh, people that are close together, it'll be for one one band or group to separate how they want. There'll be like a living room and things like that for them, but that'll be a communal area. That will be, you know, four to five people in a not, you know, exclusive way. They'd be sharing shared space. Uh, but we also have the farmhouse here that we live in and we're toying with the idea of Depending on how things book out, we can either flip-flop and we can go into the apartment, which is like a one-bedroom, the Airbnb, and we can stay there and we can rent out this farmhouse. So then all of a sudden we have three bedrooms, two baths that we can give to more band members or crew or whatever. So then you have the artist living space and a farmhouse. We've even looked at, uh, we're looking at like doing some, my wife is going to be doing a lot of like experience-based Airbnb things. So We've even looked into doing like a camper in the backyard that's renovated where if we have to book out like craziness here, we'll go out there for the night or a couple nights and people can just live in all these little dwellings here, but it it, will be flexible with whatever's going down. If we've got like some weird, you know, like a choir, like some crazy stuff (laughs) happening
0: here, we should be able to house people in this old place. (laughs) That's so sweet, man. That is so cool. Do you have, I know this kind of project is impossible to estimate, but how, what's the rough timeline like?
1: It's moved a bunch like any, like any project like this. We've been, we've been projecting and we keep getting bumped. So the first Airbnb, just an Airbnb should be finished by the end of June. Cool. Just like normal. So that should be there. And uh, then the next thing would be to tackle like a phase one of this barn, because obviously it's super passion based like it's not the best dwelling to create into a recording studio it's not the worst but it's not like it was made for cows you know <laughs> it wasn't made to be a recording studio it wasn't def- it definitely wasn't made to be anything for humans so phase 1 is going to be trying to get that bottom floor operational like the podcast content creation businessy vibe just because it's going to be the bottom floor and we already have to lift this structure up and create a Foundation for it that's more secure. So that phase one is there just because that's the order it has to happen. And I don't, even, I don't have the time frame yet because it's going to be really contingent on how well the Airbnb is performing. Because we need that to help speed up the cash flow on yeah. it. Yeah. So it, it basically will depend. If it doesn't perform like we're expecting, then it will be probably slowed down by about six months just because of slower bootstrapping capital if it performs well then we should be able to do phase one by i don't know i honestly don't know maybe six to six to eight months possibly but this is all stuff that you know i've done some renovation stuff but there these are things that i am literally like i think i've got it and then someone's like hey you don't have this today and i'm like okay all right well i gotta learn something new (laughs) i don't know what's up with that roll with the flow
0: (laughs) yeah um have you thought at all about not bootstrapping it, like getting an investor, or it just doesn't appeal to you at all? I've thought about
1: things like I know that there's a lot of grants or programs out there that support, you know, keeping historic buildings. Like this building was built in 1850s. It's in a rural district mm. of uh, a supporting suburb of Portland. So I've thought about doing like looking for grants or programs that support keeping. Old bit, you know old houses around or there's a lot of things where like we have to do basic things here We have to put insulation in certain places. We need to make it so that things are functional So there's also programs that support just making things more environmentally well for Mm -hmm. heating and things so I've looked into a lot of things like that, but I'm not uh, I'm not entertaining the investor portion only because the point of having a home business like this at this scale was to make it so that I could have access to operate a commercial facility without the overhead of having a business mm. in, in, in any type of spot. So having that equity or those pieces out of it is just something that's not built into the amount of flexibility and leverage that I wanted to have out of a place like this to really not make any decisions out of fear, have so much control on my overhead that everything I can make can be for the best of artists and creatives and things that I'm doing here. So
0: what about doing like, a and I'm just spitballing here, but what about doing something like totally. a Kickstarter where you could kind of frame it as a presale, like, um, you know, secure a certain nightly rate for X number of nights and by paying in advance or something, you've got a bit of a following. You may be able to pull something like that off. That we have thought about,
1: and we haven't thought about it for like just this airbnb because we don't have our time frame as locked as we yeah, want but tricky. yes that that is what we we are thinking things like that we are coming out with a a merch line like i have like a couple shirts up on my podcast site but we like i'm i'm working with a designer to like actually make like a clothing brand that i can sell for every piece of it would help fund this project and then we are thinking about doing some things where there can be like special stay packages for when that Airbnb opens initially, where people can pay obviously a larger rate, get some really, really cool stuff, and then help get a jump on phase one of the barn. So there is stuff like that cool. in the
0: works, but not yet. Cool, yeah. cool. I, I'm so excited about this project, man. Um, are you nervous <laughs> at all about it being like your primary residence and also a hotel? Not a hotel, but you know I, mean.
1: um, I I am but i'm also not i guess like the the main goal for us would be to do something similar to you but not quite as not quite as jumpy where like we are planning to get more airbnbs in maine that each one represents a unique experience this is my wife's kind of her oh her ship right here so the idea being that you know if we get a cabin or an ocean front or a lake front or all these different things that we can, and we're, we're going to make really odd architectural choices. They'll all be like something really interesting to stay in. That's just one of a kind. We can work on renovating those when we're living in them, just like we are right now and kind of have a little bit of a way. If like I'm feeling jammed up in here, if I'm like, Oh my God, like there's too many people here. It's too loud or whatever. Then I could go escape to one of the other buildings and, and be somewhere pretty close by to watch over things or you know at this point like the studio space is really separate and I spend so much time in that space anyway that there's almost different buildings here that I can kind of hop around if I'm like things are too loud near me or there's too many people around I feel like I can find different spots in this building to at least get away enough that I'll be cool with it but I don't know. It, it, I totally could be a problem for me, man. I have no
0: idea yet. Well, it could having multiple places, um, both within the property and multiple properties, uh, throughout, throughout the state does seem like it would solve a lot of that concern. Like if you've got one particularly annoying guest, you can be like, just realized I got to go hang out at my lakefront," you know, <laughs> something like that. I realize that. I've
1: got work to do with this other place. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> but that will
1: take time. So yeah. I mean, at first, like obviously the goal is to book this place as hard as possible and, uh, I don't know. I'm sure that I'm going to run into some stuff. But uh, at this point, we were just living in like a one bedroom in a uh, in the frat house. So living in this with a bunch of creative professionals, I can handle yeah. that. You know,
0: why? Why is it called the <laughs> frat house? I wanted to ask you that, but I was anxious to get to the barn <laughs> <laughs> because
1: uh, they just I don't know, because there was always like stuff being thrown out in the yard or like it just it's it was a bunch of people that I, and, and let me just reiterate this. I love these people. You know, I shot one of my music videos in this house for my indie for my indie band. So I, I it, it had the vibe. It had some of the vibe, but it is like a bunch of people that left college and then like got a house together to rent, and then like got jobs and everything, and professional adult jobs. But then just like kept that lifestyle and by habit, when you're in a residential neighborhood, keeping that lifestyle. You're ju- it's just a different vibe to other people than <laughs> yep. what you- you're when you're in college there's some of those things that they're doing you're like oh yeah that, that guy just threw a-, a couch off of that ledge into the street or whatever <laughs> whatever thing could have happened right and like in college you're like that's still not acceptable but like more acceptable. that didn't surprise yeah. me that that just happened <laughs> whereas in a residential neighborhood you can't just continue to do those things it's, it's not really a thing that's happening in the neighborhood oh, so man.
0: that's funny yeah. stuff that is funny stuff Um, so do you have any other like real estate projects going on right now? Or is that, is that the only one you've got?
1: That's really it. We're, we're managing that Tennessee one and we've like, Meg did a good job when she got back from school of like systemizing that. So we have a lot of things that are like auto. We have like recommended vendor lists. We have a lot of things set up there. And then this one right here, is still like renovation mode so no that's right now this is like the focus where capital wise time wise uh, like just bandwidth like this is all we can do at the yeah, moment so no other real estate stuff right now <laughs> what yeah. about
0: your music career let's can we talk about that for a little bit is is that a career or is it a I, I have no sense of how seriously you take it
1: it's been more serious in the past so you know when i was in still in you know when i was in high school and college we i was touring you know i was touring the east coast and doing like a week or two weeks every single year every 6 months to go tour to different cities we we won like some uh, battle of the bands and and won some contests and things that got us on stage in front of you know a couple thousand people and some good shows uh recently this band It's been like, you know, when I got out of college, some of those bands fell apart and I formed a a band because I just have to always I really always have to have like that escape, you know, that like that part of uh, music that's not business and not working for someone. It's just straight up like writing a song for no reason Mm -hmm. at all for anything I feel. And so this band's been like, I don't know, not not as serious. I haven't been touring. I haven't been doing some of the things that I used to do before. But I haven't stopped trying to push it. Like, I don't stop. I'm still trying to continue to play shows regularly. I'm still, obviously, harder during these times. But it's hard to say. It's something that, like, I'm I'm recording probably every year. I'm going to studio. You know, I'm paying money to do music videos or I'm paying money to get new photography shot or new merch. Like, I'm continuing all these things that were something that's more of, like, a weekend gig. But it's not something that... I am like all in on like this is not the thing that like I'm like this has to work all these other things that I I have these are the things that I need to work for me and for like my purpose and everything like that and if for some reason like the band didn't do well that's fine it's totally fine but I need to have it yeah but I'm not I'm just that type of person where like I I like don't want to do things at all unless I'm like pretty into it and pretty like about it so just if I have a band at all I'm going to be like doing stuff where I'm like, all right, how can I make more merch designs? How can I play a better, better show? How can I play with this band or do a collaboration with this? Like, I'm always going to try to do something to better it, but you got to be making moves. Yeah. If that makes sense, definitely not like career career in terms of like an indie, indie folk
0: band, you know, like a professional passion project. It's right. So where does your podcast fit into this whole mix of what you've got going on here?
1: podcasts uh you know i'm still trying to figure that out to some degree max like i started it I, I i heard one of the guests on your show actually talking about kind of the same vibe for why i started it but uh i started it just because i didn't know i didn't have people in my friend circle that i felt understood like some of the things that i was going through Logan. like some of the people yep. was it was yeah. it him go ahead yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally like. I, I heard what he was saying on the on your on your show, and I was like, "That's dead on." Where like I didn't have that circle, and I would be home on the Friday night when people are going to get beers, like working my ass off until one or whatever. And uh, I created the podcast to meet other creatives, and I just decided at that time that, like your show, like your like I looked up your slogan, and it's awesome. It's literally like let me look at this again, turning your passion into a successful business. Mine's like waking up from work, doing your passion full time. It's like the same, same vibe, but it's like I chose not to just do a show on audio engineering or music because I, I was at that point, I was like, I need to just meet entrepreneurs and people who are creating of every single way and every single type because I feel like there's something I'm going to take in from every single people, you know, all those people like that. I think there's more that I can take in from that and more people that I can meet that, you know, at this point, some of my like closest friends for like entrepreneur talk, like someone I can go vent to, or I can say like, Hey, challenge me today. Like, Hey, give me some accountability this week. You know, check in on me. Some of those people are not music people at all. They're like personal trainers or like, uh, I don't even like, like business people just in different businesses. They're not music at all, but we're talking like this, even though we don't understand the day to day of our our different things. So I guess like the podcast didn't start with any intent of like what that would mean for my career. It started with like a, a healthy way for me to voice what I thought, like, let me talk out to the netherverse and like, At least whoever would be listening to that show would be someone that could relate to me in some way, because why else would they be listening? So it it was a way for me to voice my own stuff out and just be like, all right, cool. I talked to someone about this. That's healthy, you know? (laughs) And then it was also a way to like network with individuals like you who are like, we're in sync. I've never met you except for that call before, but we're in sync, man. And like other people like this all the time. And uh, I guess like at this point, I'm, I've, I've passed a hundred episodes, like a couple episodes ago. I've been doing this thank you it feels it feels good but it's it's like okay where do we keep going like let's keep doing this let's find ways to be new but now at this point it's like it fits in in terms of like i i help other podcasters right now i help people with content and things like that that i've been doing so i in one in one way it does help with that business just because it's authoritative or people who are just getting into it, they're like, dude, you've been doing this for two years. I've seen you on Facebook every week for legit two years, like going live or on Instagram or whatever. Like I know that you're up doing this. So it's helped with business in that way. But past that, it just helps me keep up with a ton of creatives and it helps me learn and and know the things that I'm not doing as sharply as other people out there. It helps me get perspective from different industries that I wouldn't have contact with because I I like to network even in music and things like that. But there's some things that they're not going to be hearing ripple out in those industries that are important for me to be on top of. And then it definitely just helps where, you know, you can be a personal trainer, but like he, you know, for instance, that one person who's uh, texted me today and said that he has like a music friend that. Does a lot of music videos and was looking into some other things. So it's like creatives know creatives. Yeah. So me networking and meeting and being in that way of trying to help creatives with their passions uh, just makes stuff happen. And it's just really weird and it's just not intentional, but it just fits in kind of as like a hub for me to live in kind of those. You were talking about how do those intersect? How do you organize your day? This podcast for me is kind of like a, a a seat in the middle of it where like I talk about a lot of business and mindset things on here But i'm never shy to say like my focus is audio my focus is music and that's what i'm I use as a vehicle So it kind of lets me sit in between those worlds and just like voice out one Person of where those intersects. So that's where that's who I am is where those things intersect is where where does business and mindset and that positivity views together with just straight creative and music and audio and content.
0: That's who I am. It makes a ton of sense. It's, I I feel that as that similarly as I'm sure you've put together, it's uh, it is kind of a good place for everything to kind of come together and, and allow you to expand your network. I've also found it's a fantastic networking tool. Like when you're out um, just like meeting people and you're like, oh yeah, let's, you seem interesting. Let's go on the podcast. And now you have an excuse to talk to this person for totally an hour or whatever it ends up being yeah pretty cool stuff well dave i'm so glad we did this this has been so sweet i've learned so much i uh i feel like like you said we're living parallel lives a little bit (laughs) it's a little 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 crazy um but thank you so much for coming on where can people find you i'll I'll have plugged everything in the intro but let's give it one more time here
1: sure if you want to check out If you want to check out anything that I'm doing in audio, uh, crawlspaceaudio.com is where I'm at there. The podcast that has a website is wakingupfromwork.com. Pretty much any social, it's at Dave Wake Up, like anything that you check out on there. And then if you want to see any of the behind the scenes of the build and watch me be like really miserable and like (laughs) swear but bleep it out, you can go to YouTube and and check out the, the podcast YouTube channel, Waking Up From Work podcast, And you'll see the build where we're doing like bi-weekly YouTube videos on the build process here. So you can see what is happening on there. The
0: intro video you have on the project is so cool. Uh, I was checking it out. It's really well done. Oh,
1: oh, thank you.
0: (laughs) Um, Guys, check out Dave. He's awesome, as you can tell. Um, And Dave, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, man. This is awesome. Your show is great. Thank
0: you, sir. Appreciate it.